This podcast is about grief, fun, chirpy, chirpy subject. Um, and that's exactly the reason why no one wants to talk about it, because it's not a chirpy subject, is it? Let's face it. No one wants to sit there for an hour and listen to how miserable someone is. However, got news for you, kids. <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this. We're all going to die. So get used to it. You're going to have to talk about it at some point. Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. Friends, Romans, and countrymen. I think that's how I'm going to start every podcast. It's William Shakespeare, isn't it? Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Oh, yeah, that's going to be my, that's going to be the new intro. <laughs> and that theatrical as well. Um, hello, lovely to be back with you. Um, I have been uh, in England, as you have probably been able to be aware if you are following me on Instagram at Carrie Gracie. Shall I just do that thing where you plug everything for no reason whatsoever? Because no one actually makes any money if I plug anything. So, I mean, yeah. I um, I basically have had a bit of a tough time, to be honest with you folks. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm not going to pretend that everything's been rosy. Uh, it's been actually one of the most brutal seasons since um, the loss of my father, actually. Um, so... That's a great beginning. That's going to make you want to listen longer, obviously. But um, I'm okay with that if you want to switch off now. Because actually, this podcast is about grief, fun, chirpy, chirpy subject. Um, and that's exactly the reason why no one wants to talk about it. Because it's not a chirpy subject, is it? Let's face it. No one wants to sit there for an hour and listen to how miserable someone is. However, got news for you, kids. I can't believe I'm about to say this. We're all going to die. So get used to it. You're going to have to talk about it at some point. That is the only thing we share in common with, other than being alive, is that we're going to die. So I think it's time we start talking about it, don't you? Now, not, not like how we die. That's unnecessary. We don't need to talk about that. That's awful. Gross. But I would love to talk about... Well, to be honest with you, I recorded this one more time before. And I'd only just covered one point in half an hour. So I obviously had an awful lot to say. And I've been wanting to be talking about this subject ever since we started in the podcast. I was going to do it with some friends. And interestingly enough, no one else wanted to talk about it. So here I am, left on my own. And I have to say, this particular week, we are recording, thankfully not filming, recording this podcast in my little writing room up in my attic in my house in Redding, California. And it looks right now like some sort of hippie opium den. It's covered in rugs, cushions, more cushions, furry cushions, more rugs. And um, it looks like I take drugs here. I don't. It's purely because there is a huge amount of feedback. So we've made it cosy, basically. 
So should anyone see this on Instagram, I can explain everything. <laughs> We're just trying to get the sound right. Tyler, my producer, is desperate for me to get the sound right. So he doesn't want to be associated with this podcast, basically until we get the sound right or until the content gets better. But I, I hope and I believe that the content is getting better. As you do these things day in, day out, you get better at things. Um, I've not done 10,000 hours of podcast yet, so I'm not yet to be a master. So we've got to be careful of the amount of expectations I think we have. <laughs> anyway, listen, guys, thank you so much for the amazing response you gave for uh, a single focus. Um, I'm really glad uh, when I feel a pull or a nudge from the Lord to, to talk about something that it's been on track or on time for you guys. Um, and I also given the fact that we have so many podcasts, my heart is that you always have a fresh perspective on old issues. And um, so that's been a big heart for me. And we are this year, we've got some exciting things to do this year for the podcast. And we're hoping that actually we're going to make this more of a regular thing, not just once a month, but actually we're hoping to build and build as we uh, hopefully gain at some point uh, some momentum on the podcast. We can start to actually put some financial investment into making this podcast. Um but at the moment, I'm sitting on the floor on some rugs with some cushions. So you can just, that's where we're at. <laughs> but you're worth it. You're absolutely worth it. One of the things, one of the reasons why I want to talk about this subject in particular was, let's just, I'm just going to be really honest. We're terrible at grief. We are absolutely atrocious at it. And I could tell you story after story after story where... It's the equivalent, how we are, or just our lack of awareness or sort of insensitivity. I mean, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this because I haven't actually asked her, but I met this lovely girl yesterday and um, <laughs> she said to me, she said, oh, have you been? I said, oh, I just lost my dog. And she went, oh, no, where did you lose him? And, I was like, and then I went, um, to death. I, don't, I just realised that's an English phrase, isn't it, when we... <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So, and she's like, oh, you know what? I've just been having those one of those weeks where I'm just stating a, just a, a meaningful sentence, but I put my foot in it every time. And I think, honestly, that's one of the reasons why we never like to bring up grief. We're so nervous about saying anything when we know that someone's lost someone because we're worried that we'll open a gate with that one sentence and the gate will never close. Or we just look really insensitive or we got the wrong person. Um, so I think honestly, I want to sort of just address some of the uncomfortableness that goes around someone losing someone to grief and to death. And, um, when I say losing, I mean dying, but it's our British nature to sort of sweep it under the covers of <coughs> lost someone, lost someone as if we've lost them down the back of a sofa, which of course we didn't, um, now I'm 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 purposely being quite jokey and chirpy in these moments. I am going to get tender and I am going to get sen sensitive because the reality is this is a tough subject to talk about. I've been putting it off for a long time, but I I decided to make this podcast into two separate podcasts mainly because I have obviously so much to say about it, and the more I talk about it, the more things come to mind. So I don't really want to miss out some of those details that I think could be very important for someone listening who is grieving someone, whether it's a parent, a spouse or a child, um, and just navigating how we love those in their most guttural parts of pain. This is 
probably the most guttural thing we'll ever experience. And a friend's father once said, we're not wired for death, we're wired for life. So when we face death of someone that we truly love, of course our body goes into shock. And so, I mean, we do have, of course, the five stages of grief, and I can talk about that a little bit, just being that it's the first stage is denial, second stage is anger, third stage is bargaining, fourth stage is depression, and the fifth stage is acceptance. Um, now, here's the deal. I want to be really careful about talking about the subjects because that could sound like a formula in itself. But in my experience, those five stages can happen in one day. They can reverse. They can go up and down. It can You can stay in one of those stages for a year. For me, six years, which was anger. Um, and the way I dealt with grief was keep busy. And I would talk about it and I would cry about it. So I thought I was processing it well. But actually, I never gave it space or room to really... To not get introspective, that's the important key. And I, of course, I got very introspective because I wasn't actually facing some of this pain head on. Um, but I do remember, and this is the reason why I want to talk about this particular subject today, on how do we love someone who's grieving? And the next podcast will be how do we love God when we're grieving? It's one of the things that I don't think we have an intentional question towards because most of the time we blame him. <laughs> why didn't they say, why didn't he save save my my mother my father why didn't he save my child um they are important questions to be asking and yet ones we so rarely get the answer to if ever and this side of eternity so this week i want to focus specifically on how to love someone who uh, someone else who is grieving um how to be a good friend how to love well I've got a few pointers, some of it from personal experiences some from what my other friends have told me um and what I would say is friends are so crucial during your time of grief because they are often the ones that are articulating how you're feeling when you don't have any words to put to the pain and the utter grief you are facing in that particular time. You're too shocked, you're too hungry, you're too running on adrenaline and you're full of fear. I do love this quote that C.S. Lewis said and it's actually my favourite quote on grief and he said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. If you haven't read his book, A Grief Observed, it's actually one of my favorite books of his. And it's actually the book that I wanted to throw across the room more than any other book in my life. It was so close to home, so touched edges of my heart that I'd never had anyone. You could tell he'd gone through it. And there's something about a writer that's gone through it. And there's something about a counsellor that has gone through it that makes a difference to a counsellor who hasn't. I'm not suggesting the counsellors who haven't faced the death of a parent, a spouse or a child um, is not good at what they do. I'm just saying, have some grace if they come out with something that you recognise, oh, you haven't experienced that kind of level of pain yet. Um, so let's look a little bit about the reality that grief is the price we pay for when we love someone. So this is actually a very important thing to do. This is a very important part of the process of loving someone is to grieve them. It's not to say we wallow in it or mourn in it forever. It doesn't mean that we stop functioning. I do remember one friend once saying to me, the trick is to keep breathing. And I thought, oh, that's the best, that's the best piece of advice I could get in this moment. Because <laughs> sometimes I lose my breath too. And I remember at my father's funeral, someone came up to me and said, has anyone crossed the street yet? And I looked at him and I went, what? He was a brilliant man. This guy was a philosopher. 
which makes him brilliant, apparently. <laughs> he said, yeah, has anyone crossed the street yet? And I said, no. No, why would they cross the street? He said, well, he said, you're 23. And I said, yes, I, I am. He said, just in the stages of humanity and how we manage grief, especially in England, you might find some people cross the street when they see you, not because they want to hurt you, but because they just don't know what to say. So one of my first pieces of advice would be make sure you reference it. And if, you know, even my sweet Alex in, in a period of grief that I might have had, uh, she lives with me and she said, you know, I'm always going to ask even if you don't want to talk about it. And I, went, I love that. I love that. Some like today I was like, oh, I'm, I've, I've got to keep focused because I've got to, I've got to do a podcast. But tonight I might just give myself an hour to have a little cry. And she's like, okay, great. I just wanted to check in. And before you know, you get a card on the doorstep and you're crying your eyes out unplanned. But your friends, actually, I want you to see it as you, the wind has swept you off your feet. You're on the floor and someone's put you, your friends are the ones that put you onto the trolley. <laughs> I have this picture and you're pretty much just slumped in this trolley and other friends take you along until you're ready to walk again it's pretty much that but good friends and friends that have gone through Greece will understand that their process will be very different to your process because it's very dependent on the relationship that you had with that person it's dependent on your personality dependent on how you navigate pain dependent on what you know about pain dependent on how you see God dependent on so many factors that will change the fabric of how you process grief. So for me, I know that I need to be around very sensitive people at the time. I know I need to be around friends who are brilliant with their words and friends that have gone through it because they just can articulate those moments where they go, gosh, you know, when you've there's something so sweetly numbing about sleep because when you wake up again, you have to face it all over again as if it's the first day. And uh, and you just want to go, yeah, that's that's it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes there's something about them referencing or just asking questions. Well, what were they like? What would they have wanted you to have felt over this time of grieving? What do you think their legacy is? What are the, What are your favorite memories about them? Talk to us about your own relationship with that person and so on and so forth. I've got some friends that every year on the, on whether it's on their birthday of the one they lost or um, the anniversary of the death, they often have, they sit down and just talk about them, a scheduled time, an intentional time to talk about them because it's part of not reliving them so much as living out their legacy and, and remembering them. The beauty of um, a funeral service for me is watching a funeral director um i don't know how it works in america but i know in england we have top cat top hat and uh, coattails and canes for our funeral directors and um when the families get into the hearses of the cars behind the coffin and the casket in the front hearse the funeral director will get out of the car and walk in front of the cars and the hearses with his cane and his top hat then the cars will go past and he'll take his hat off and doff his cap to the coffin. Oh, I get so moved by it. It's such a moment of respect, of ceremony. Um, and I'm always so touched by the compassion and the tenderness of funeral directors. They, For me, they're some of my favourite people in the world because they are dealing with a very tender, very sensitive subject that is just so full of pain and yet they're right there in it with you. 
doing the most hardest part of the day. And so I, it's actually, if anything, I'd sort of tribute to those that care for, other, for people in their utmost grief. When we're in our most pain, it's really easy to lash out, to be difficult, to forget people's birthdays, to forget to cook. Um, and it's the people around us that do the practical help, the acts of service that I would say, um, even just watching my cousins with their loss recently, a friend had brought around a, a whole ton of meals um, for them to not have to worry, therefore, about grocery shopping and cooking because at that point in time they're busy arranging a funeral and all the many intricacies that go into a funeral um, the death certificates, doctors coming back and forth, phone calls confirming things, um, the arrangements of everything is so a, a full-time job in itself that the friend that comes over with meals is just the same in grace and of course we just cry into our lasagna in thankfulness to those friends um, I would say as well, if if you're dealing with anyone that's lost, um, anyone that is of the age of 50 plus, um, those ones are more likely to have address books next to the telephone. I know it's hard to believe, archaic as it sounds, some people still have address books. And when my mother lost my father and, and my father went to be with the Lord in 2003, I was 23, we obviously were in, it was very, very sudden. So we didn't have the time to process, have conversations with him, say goodbye, none of that. And so we were on autopilot. We were in sudden shock for about three months. And that is the case for most, most anyone that goes through a sudden death. It can be as short as three months or as long as a year, 18 months. Um, just the shock in itself, or we're in denial, but we're acknowledging it, but we're also in denial about the finality of it. We, we still hope they're coming back from a holiday. I remember seeing my dad on television um, in a documentary that had nothing to do with what my dad did, but it was a piece of footage of my dad and Diana shaking hands. And I think it was honestly a documentary about Victoria Beckham and David Beckham, I seem to remember, in 1997, the day that the year that Diana died. And there was this footage they'd obviously found of my dad and mum. And this is now, we're looking at a year and a half after my dad died. And as I'm watching television, I go, Dad, you're on the TV. <laughs> and my mum was sitting next to me going, oh, Carrie. <laughs> and it was just this sort of, oh, gosh, my body still thinks he's still here in a way, you know. And um, I've had times where counselling sessions of so I wanted to challenge the immortalization of um, my my dad, and I'd be like, I don't, I, I can see why you think that, and the little amounts of interaction you've had with me, but I'm very aware he's gone now. But that was thanks to getting rid of noise and crazy and busyness. And so I think friends are very good to remind you, not not to be cruel and to try and fix it. But just to remind you of the season that you're in, which is grief. And we want to hurry that up sometimes and, and busy ourselves. And so I actually have a crew of people around me to make sure I don't get too busy in order for me to make sure I still grieve. And the ones that are f blowing up my phone and not remembering that, I have to just be just be more graceful towards those ones and whilst I navigate the, that season. Um in regards to the practicality, we were talking about a dress book. Sorry, I digressed. <clears throat> and my mum, 
whenever she, after this sort of three-month period of being in shock, she actually goes to the telephone book to go and call a friend just for comfort or arrange something. She's ready to start sort of going out and seeing more people. But every time she would come to the telephone book, my father's handwriting would be in there. So it was an extra painful process for her to pick up the phone and call someone. So from that lesson, not only did we get a new address book, but every time someone above the age of 50 has lost someone and there might be a spouse um, or someone they live with, then we normally ensure to give them a new address book and gave them the reasons why. And we've got a stack of new address books at home that we hope and trust that this will be um, a moment of practical comfort. So really asking friends, what do you need? Is there anything we can be practical with? If friends are, are going, oh, no, there's nothing, there's always something you can do. And sometimes friends don't want to be a burden. They're scared of their own pain being uh, a, a reason for people to start isolating. And to be honest with you, we have all said it before, when we're going through a tough time, you know who your friends are. Well, this is one of those. But some people are so scared of showing their grief to anyone in case that tough time isolates or alienates friends. So be the friend that actually finds things to help them with. Be the friend that actually leaves something on the doorstep, even if they've asked for nothing. Be the friend that buys an awful lot of tissues. Be the friend that makes the meals. Be the friend that gets the flowers, but not only gets them flowers and gives them a letter at the time, but remembers to refer to it three months later. Or actually, just like my friend the other night, I was reading a chapter to a new book that I'm pitching for, and um, I can tell you about that another time. And I'm reading this chapter with some of my friends around the dinner table and my friend Natalie just starts crying. And um, sh- and I thought, it's this is either a really bad chapter and I need to rewrite it or something is going off for Nat. And she said, I can just feel how proud your dad would have been listening to this. Ooh. And... I think just uh, the reason why I moved is not the mention of my dad. I was just comforted that someone even thought about him. And so friends, reference them, talk about them, ask some questions, ask for the favorite stories about these people because we still like to live their legacy. And when people can't even come up to you in the street and say, I'm so sorry about the loss of what you've just experienced with a beloved, or I'm so sorry to hear about whoever. That makes us feel more unknown than ever before. And that's actually true. About a week after the funeral of my father, lo and behold, someone did actually cross the street when they saw me. Um, They weren't a close friend. They weren't anyone that um, I had much of a relationship with. And so it's those that, I would say, if you're questioning whether it's the right time to say something, ask if it's the right time to say something, because people will always appreciate the fact that you tried. Um, and some of my greatest friends that I've made, I remember meeting them just after I lost my dad. And some friends, that those became my deepest friends, because the first conversation they ever had with me was like, hey, I'm so sorry to hear about. And it's not, I'm not suggesting we live in this perpetual reference to <laughs> to my dad who like died 15 years ago. But I do think it's important to just occasionally mention them, to reference them. It's the beauty of funerals and Thanksgiving services is to 
relive everything that that person loved, relive the memories and be honest about the journey too. Um, it's important, of course, in grief that we mustn't ever live under the shadow of our of those that we've lost. Um, and I would say I did that for a while when I was growing up from this from this journey myself. But I think one of the things that I, I and of course, for me personally, I left my faith when I'd lost my dad. I'd, I'd actually gone through about five different deaths in my 20s. And this is one of the reasons why I want to make next week a discussion about how do we love God in that? Because I didn't. Um, but I think it's very important to be aware of to be aware of the fact that we are not the ones to fix it with a scripture. For as much as scripture can be very comforting or be very useful in the, in in any given situation, it's it's necessary in every given situation. But I think sometimes it's just comforting to know that Jesus, after the beheading of John the Baptist, went off to grieve as he took time out. And I think we have to make sure that we do the same thing. Um, Protection is a big thing. So when it comes to friends um, towards us when we're grieving, I've seen it before where friends had some issue, some... um, confrontation let's say that they wanted to have with that friend before um that person went through grief i've seen it before where friends thought that that was a great time to finally talk to them about some confrontive issue they they had with their own needs getting met let's i'm just going to make this really clear when someone is grieving that is not the time to get your needs met if the person afterwards a year or two is still disregarding you as a friend then great, then bring it up. The rest will be resolved when you've come out of that time. And you can even say, hey, during the time, that was tough for me because you weren't the kindest. (laughs) But it's not the time. It's very important. I remember even just going through the, you know, a very tough season I've had recently. Um, When people want to have a conversation with you about their own needs being met or wanting to clarify something, actually that doesn't help to your own season of grief or or just a tough time honesty isn't always the best policy you don't have to over communicate and over clarify everything to get your needs met or your voice heard my heart is that you actually start recognizing what the other needs are for the other person and if that means that you feel a little bit taken advantage of for a season then so be it at least it's far more loving than i need to clarify these things that I need to be met in order for us to be friends. Well, that that person's grieving. That person's focusing on themselves and the loss of the person that they've just had to say goodbye to. And it might have been they never got to say goodbye to them at all. And it deeply disturbs me when I hear people just thinking that this is the time to have their needs met or put ultimatums in their friendships. This person's going through the most brutal thing that we could ever face now's not the time now is not the time and I would suggest strongly that if you're needing to have those conversations so so much so then there might be an element of control that is taking place in order for you to get something fixed in your own lives does that make sense I hope it does but that's where um we can actually have 
uh, a matter of people are trying to be empathetic sometimes. They're trying to relate to the story by... <laughs> just remember. Oh, bless them. There was one particular time where I... Uh, a friend of mine was going through something and they just they just were facing a very deep grief and um of a of a parent and i witnessed this conversation take place with with a sort of acquaintance and they weren't necessarily friends but in the in the hope and this in this stuff normally takes place more so outside of friendships because they just don't know you very well but this person had tried to empathize with the person by talking about the grief of Fido, the loss of their dog. that had taken a few years, taken past sort of a few years before. Now, I obviously appreciate the relativity of losing a dog and how difficult that is. But don't ever try to empathise with somebody, with somebody else about their fresh grief that is hot off the press when... That is not a comforting word. <laughs> I'm sure that's very obvious, but you would be surprised. Very similar to when people are not healed and they're trying to question all the time as to why they're not healed. They're doing everything, every sozo, every deliverance, everything they can possibly think of. They've gone to every doctor. They've tried to get as much help and transformation as they can in order to accomplish some miracle of healing or um, uh, navigate just how to get better themselves. And then people come in going, do you have sin in your life? Is that why you're not healed? And I think, gosh, that's really not a good time to question that. I'm sure they've gone through enough of those questions with their much closer friends. So that is that is not a good choice. And I think sometimes this is happening because people are so scared of people being in pain. People are so scared of loss and people are so scared of someone else's mess and they want to come in with a fix-it plan and an answer. I really appreciate it, but really ask more questions rather than assume what's the best thing to say. And and if someone says to you, that was really insensitive, then don't get defensive. Don't start fighting about, well, I was just trying to help. Yeah, now you're making it even worse. <laughs> Let someone say that it's insensitive and take it, own it. Say, oh yeah, no, that was insensitive. I'm really sorry about that. And then move on. You're fine. Don't make it into a big thing. Don't be dramatic around someone that's grieving right now. Really pick your battles if you have to. Um, certainly be very, very sensitive around this person's need for safety. You'll often find people after grief will get a little bit more controlling around certain things, around their food, um, around who they see, um, around even their boundaries. I've got a whole thought and theory going on in my mind over the last few weeks about how people use boundaries to actually keep people out and not allow people in and actually to be a fantastic form of control. But that is for another day. Um, so you really need to, for, for the ones that are grieving, you really need to choose wisely who are the committee that get to be in on this. Um, and honestly, it, it, for me, it's, it's no more than two handfuls. Um, I don't really want to hold out for people that I know probably aren't thinking about the safety or what's best for my heart or my protection in the journey. So friends, um, 
ensure that you, and this is going to sound like a really weird thing to say, but I just feel led to say this. Sometimes people want to jump on a grief like an ambulance chaser. Let me explain. There are times where people will come out of the woodwork, so to speak, and want to help you. And that is a beautiful thing. But I will say this, and I've seen this happen, so this is why I'm saying it. (laughs) Those people that came out of the woodwork were amazing for a period of time, maybe like a week or two, maybe even as long as six months. But then there's this expectation that comes for a recipient response for an answer for some for some um, reaction back those are the ones that will be actually tipping into codependency codependency has this great playground in grief Um, and they are extraordinarily helpful but then deeply bitter and upset um, with your inability to match up what they could do for you and in grief grief is very much a one-way street it's not going to be something that you're going to get much back from. You're going to get people going, thank you so much. But please don't expect anything more than that. Because they're focusing at the moment. They can't even see really what you're doing or thinking or what your feelings are about. And so there does have to be some grace on that. And I um, would suggest uh, if you've not been in touch with that person and you've heard about a grief, reach out and send a message. Um but let them allow you to come into their world. Don't try and fix your own needs of rescuing other people in the state of death. And it ends up actually being really dishonoring towards the person that died. It sounds like a strange thing to do, but it really is a case of let the close committee, make sure they have a close committee. If they don't, are you willing to put in the time and the effort and the steadfastness and the safety of taking care of someone? If not, don't do it. If you can, don't have any expectations afterwards because you're doing this because you love them, not because there's a return. Lastly, in the digital era, it's really easy to think that just sending a text helps everything. (laughs) And it does. It really does. But I think, or even just an emoji of a sort of crying cat will help or a gif of some sort of wailing penguin. And that might just be aware that still a phone call, a letter, a card, a gift voucher, some flowers are still the most beautiful thing to receive. Romance is dead, thanks to the digital era. One of the reasons why um, I've been taking a little bit bit of time off Instagram is actually I've gone on to a landline telephone (gasps) what did she just say did she just say she's gone on to a landline telephone that's right my friends that's right I'm doing an experiment I asked you guys uh sometime the end of the year should I go to a landline telephone the answers were 93% said yes 7% said no and so One thing I would say about the landline telephone is there's something really lovely about someone calling you (laughs) and actually checking in. Um, And you get to dictate your day a little bit more with it. Um, You get to be a little bit more in control as to who calls you and when. 
and there's no expectations on you from uh, text messages. So if you are going through a grieving season yourself, I highly recommend you go onto a landline telephone and limit your social media um, because this will be a tough time to be navigating social media and all the happy joys that everyone's going through uh, when you're just so desperately hoping someone will reach out to you. So friends, be practical, be very, very practical. And uh, like that analogy I was saying of them being in the trolley, <laughs> the wind has swept them off their feet. You're dragging them on, along a, one of those little play, those one of those kid trolleys that I seem to remember you have with the long handles and wheels. And just keep on checking in to see if they want to get off the trolley um, or if it's just a day that you don't want to talk about it because that's also t- okay too. It doesn't mean that they aren't processing their pain or their grief. It doesn't mean that they haven't uh, given themselves time. It might just be that they're trying not to think about it for much of the day because they've got to do work. But it's always good to just check in and ask, hey, do you want to get off the trolley and start walking or do you want to still stay in this? Um, and what does it look like for you to get off the trolley? What does it look, if you if you've got friends that are in this uh, stuck in their journey and they're actually navigating grief and they've been in it for so long that it's turned into introspection and they haven't really looked at um, proper methods of healing. Uh, friends, just just check in and go, hey, how are we doing on the on the process of grief? Because I think if we really do navigate grief well, we execute it in a way that you can actually see it build you into a whole different level. These things, believe it or not, if you do pain process right, if you heal in the way that the Lord hopes you to heal, you actually get bigger and bolder and stronger and wiser than you ever were before. And so I think it's very important to understand that everyone has their journeys can take longer for some than others that again dependent on the relationship they had with them dependent on their own relationship and their own their their own journey with themselves but ensure that you're not trying to force them to get to a place grief counselors only actually see anyone for counseling after six months from the death so it's unusual to find a counsellor to want to or feel like it's important to talk to them before that time. Um, and I think that's very wise because, like I say, we're all on autopilot. So I hope that helps a little bit. This is a very small segment on a very big subject. So that's the first one. It sounds like there's a parakeet or something in the background. I don't know whether you can hear that. I think it's because they know I'm podcasting right now. So therefore, they've just decided to sit on the ceiling of, of the roof of my house and make mating sort of sounds. Fantastic. Thanks for the ending. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, can you hear it? No, I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you feel led by this podcast or by um, you're reminded of someone that you felt like you didn't do a very good job with or you're you're reminded of a friend that you're like, did I reach out to them? Then it's never too late to reach out, believe it or not. It's never too late to even check in and go, hey, I just, I was just listening to something and, or I was listening to someone share and I actually feel like I could have done a better job at that. And I'm sorry that I wasn't around for such a tough time. And I tried to relate to your grief to a breakup I once had, or I tried to relate to your grief to 
you know, the loss of something not quite as important as a parent, a spouse, a sibling or a child. And so feel free to. It's never too late. If it backfires, at least you tried. At least you tried to rectify what you perhaps felt like you didn't do a very good job with. Um, And lastly, do read A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis if you want to understand this process a little bit more. If you are the one that's grieving, don't read it until six months. Um, The reason is you are at your most vulnerable And so you really want to be very cautious to not let anything that is going to skewer or put you into a state of bitterness or put you into a state of introspection. Um, Next week, I'm going to be talking about how we actually process the grief of someone and how we navigate our relationship with God during those very confusing questions that are one of the greatest mysteries of healing in itself. So I'd love to talk about that. If you have any questions, if you want to get in touch and uh, reach out, um, it's always best to try me through the website, especially with the fact that I'm now on a landline telephone. Um, So if you want to do that, go to carrylloyd.live and you can see a contact form. That email is sent through to my team. My team send them all to me. Um, And if you have any questions from this podcast or other podcasts from before, send them there. I'm also hoping to do a Q&A style podcast for one of these sessions. So if you have a question that I could answer in five minutes, then send that through to me as well. Um, And this year, I pray, looks a little bit rosier than 2018. I think quite a few of you went through quite a bit of grief, whether it was through the fires in California or losses in life itself. I pray that this is the year, I really felt it over quite a lot of people, that this is a year of rebuilding. It's not just rebuilding houses, it's rebuilding the soul. And reinvention seems to be the word that keeps on coming up again and again. Rebuilding sounds like we're building the same house that we lost, or we're building the same character that we once were. Reinvention is a whole different ball game. A reinvention comes from all the things you've learned, the pain you've gone through, and how to activate Uh, a more glorious invasion of heaven to earth through your soul and character. So my heart for you is you start asking yourselves, what does it look like for me to reinvent? Not because we don't like the old version, but there's always room for growth and there's always a space to find and discover the mysticism and the mystery that is his magnificence in the uttermost pain that we might face of losing a loved one. I would say this, I remember the day when I lost dad and I turned to my mum and I said, heaven has never felt closer and yet it feels so far away. It felt like heaven had come right up to my face and I was knocking on this wall right in front of my face and I couldn't bash it down. But I would say that one statement made me curious about eternity. And so I want to talk more about that next week, a little bit about what heaven might be like, some of the stories that we've heard of people that have gone to heaven and come back, ones that actually physically died and were revived, resuscitated and brought back. Their description of heaven, I think, was a great comfort for me in grief and knowing what they go through. Not as a crutch for those that aren't believers. -uh Nuh-uh-uh. It's not a crutch, my friend. It's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of commitment being a Christian. (laughs) So... I am just a 
pop that out there. So I hope this helped. I'm, I know it's been a, a small amount on a very big subject, but if you have any more questions, do contact me. Um, and yeah, friends who are navigating friends that are grieving, make sure you make a space at the table for them and make sure that they know that they are loved by you. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Carry On podcast. If you have any topics or any thoughts that you'd like me to share on for these podcasts, then just contact us on www.carryloyd.live. You can uh, email on the contact form there and we'll come back to you um, as soon as possible. We'll also make sure that we consider everything you suggest. If you have any questions, any feedback, brutal or lovely, we always want to grow and get better at these things. So uh, just email us there. Um, Due to the fact that I'm on a landline telephone for the next few months, then uh, make sure you contact there rather than going on Instagram. Um, But we will have a team navigating Instagram as well for you at the same time. So, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. We really do appreciate all those lovely shares that you do on Instagram and uh, the the sharing it with friends. Uh, It's been so lovely to meet people occasionally and bumping into people that are saying it's helping, helping. And that was my hope. Even though I was pinned in the corner by friends at first to do this, it's been a real growth thing for me and a real stretch to just uh, share without having it polished and perfected. Um, It felt right to go raw. So thanks so much for making this a possibility for us. Um, And we will speak to you soon.